SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me this week, as always, is our science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. I'm smiling because I had an idea. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. That's never good for us. So here's the idea. So there's a little bit of a delay. When we record this podcast, just uh-huh. like a, like if we all clapped at the same time, you and to me, you and, and Sari would clap together, but I would clap like a, a second and a half earlier. I think that right now we should all try and sing Smash Mouth's All Star together. Oh, Hank. And I'm not going to give you a chance to back out. It's like jumping into the pool. Let's go. Three, two, What's one. What's the first word? What's the first word? The, the world is going to roll me. me. I, I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb with her finger and her thumb the shape of a under forehead. I love that. Thank you. 
You really That's made my day, disgusting. everybody. People are going to uh-huh. be projectile vomiting all over the place <laughs> when they're listening to that. So, thanks. <laughs> it's great to see y'all. I, I'm uh, in our podcast studio at work right now, which we used to record the podcast in this room. You're on the old science couch. Mm-hmm. I'm on the, actually, I think I'm on the, the, You're on the not science couch. couch. Yeah, yeah. couch. I'm, I've stolen it. It is very nice in here. It's a nice little place to get set up. Make a podcast. <laughs> it's almost like that's what it's for. Yeah. I did a tour earlier with a uh, student group of the studio, oh. and this was the room they liked the most. They were like, wow, it really looks like podcasts happen in there. Weird. And I was like, yeah, it looks like that, doesn't it? But, <laughs> and yet. <laughs> this is the first one recorded in there in several years. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is nice to be in here, though. And it's nice to see the two of you. So so every week here on Tangents, we get together to try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts while also trying to stay on topic. Our panelists, Sari and Sam, are playing for glory and for Hank Bucks, which I'll be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with a traditional science poem this week from Sari. What's huge around us was once very small, including the world that houses us all. These mountains and canyons were once swirling dust, accreting and heating and shaping a crust. Inorganic shapes ebb and grow with time as rivers erode or deposit more lime. But even more wondrous than the birth of a creek is the life that's inside it, organic and sleek. Mm. An egg becomes tadpole, which then sprouts some limbs. Or there's sedgrass that sways in the wind's fickle whims. Bacteria that fester and then split in twain, or thirsty fungi that swell with the rain. There's growth all around us, it hums and it sighs, and we must not discount what's behind our eyes. The growth of ideas Mm. or dreams or of us, that which makes you you and me me and thus, although at some point we crumble to bits, in the meantime we laugh and we sharpen our wits and make haste and make joy and make podcasts, and so one goal of this life then is to never not grow. Ooh, oh yeah. Hell oh yeah. man, really got me with the end there. Everything. That was about the universe. That was yeah, beautiful. To never not grow. I I did while you were talking uh Google and and uh a blue whale when born is about 1300 uh kilograms. So <laughs> but but there was one point at which it was a, a cell. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just and comparatively, and it's, it's small. It's all in scale, you know. Yeah, I asked the internet what the biggest baby was. I said, "Hey Google, what's the biggest <laughs> baby?" And uh, and and it told me about a hu- a very very big human baby, which isn't what I was going for. No. Ooh, so how big to, though? Had to be more clear. It was, I mean, chubby, uh, <laughs> so a honking baby. That's. I just saw a picture. I didn't. I didn't see the numbers. <laughs> well, I wouldn't call it small. <laughs> uh, 22 pounds 22 pounds 8 ounces okay 20 uh, that's a good job that's a big baby but yeah but even that baby wasn't i don't know just some just Gotta some carbon somewhere. flex at some point that's right so the, the topic for the day is growth which seems to me like something that is possible to define i think so. it's, i mean it's less precise than if we're defining a chemical on a on a periodic table or something like that. But I think yeah. we have a pretty good collective understanding of what growth is. Well, there's like metaphysical growth where like I read I read Camus yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But but mostly we're talking about <laughs> uh you were once smaller and then you were bigger. Yeah. So like increases in cell size or number or complexity. 
Sometimes Mm -hmm. development is what is used to describe increases in complexity, Mm -hmm. but you can lump that under growth too. I love that there are some animals that get bigger by adding more cells and some animals that get bigger by just having bigger cells. (laughs) This is so weird. Yeah. So weird. Who does that? Uh, Tardigrades are the one that I I know of, but there's a few, uh, I think, teeny tiny organisms that start out quite small and then get, you know, double, triple, quadruple in size, but have the same number of cells they had the whole time. Eventually, that doesn't work. You can't go from an embryo. That would, yeah. We'd have really big cells. Yeah. Yeah. We'd be so, we'd be such big, we'd just be a bunch of water balloons the packed big together. Big all squishing around. Yeah, so it's mostly like, yeah, like Hank said, single-celled organisms. Elephants do not have giganto cells. Uh, <laughs> no. It would be very funny if, if cell size did increase with body We do cells. have big cells. Like, like humans do, have, yeah. Right. Like okay. compared to compared to like bacteria, our cells. Are I was huge. gonna ask: Are we all working with about the same size cells, or no? No, no, no yeah. Okay. I think that, like, uh, in terms of eukaryotes, well, no. I mean, there are some eukaryotes that have like massive cells, but that then, you can like, see like with colloquially, mm-hmm. growth can also mean, um, like, growing in population. You say like mm. population growth is yep. is increase in number, but yeah. it's just of things instead of cells. You can also have a growth. That's true. But that's not really what we're talking about. But there's more of the thing than there was before. And I think when it's metaphysical growth, you got more uh, of the thoughts than you had mm -hmm. before. That's right. And when it's a growth, you got more of whatever that is than you had before. You don't don't have any other way of describing it besides, oh, it's a growth. Mm. Like, I don't know what it is. It just grew there. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Man, aging. Tell you what. Just a whole whole process. I'm not so getting many... those quite yet, but I have noticed no. my parents, they got some they got some yeah. extra things going on. Yeah. When am I gonna get my skin tags? I'm just waiting around for them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You you sort of like uh every morning you roll in the skin tag dice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. I haven't I haven't gotten the skin tag dice, but I did go to the dermatologist for the first time in many, many years and they were mm. like, We've gotta we gotta cut you up. And oh. <laughs> just get a bunch of uh, biopsies, which is good because then yeah. I, I'll know whether I've yeah, yeah. But I'm like, I got one. I got one of those once. He looked at my foot and he said, uh, "This does not. This looks bad to me." And I was yeah. like, "I stepped on a pine cone when I was nine, and it's been there Ooh. ever since." And he was like, "I don't think that's true. I think that <laughs> I need to take a biopsy <laughs> no, no. of this because it looks like it might be a skin cancer." And I was like, "Well, if you think it might be skin cancer, you should absolutely cut it out." But I'm a hundred percent sure it's pine that that's cone? been there since I stepped on that pine cone when I was nine. And he it came back and he was like, "That was some pine cone stuff." Wow. <gasps> Yeah. Wow. He even, he said so. You know, he didn't. Oh. <laughs> he said that it wasn't cancer and okay. he didn't, he didn't fess up. <laughs> he didn't but I it. know, I know it was pinecone stuff. That's Dr. Hank speaking that it was pinecone stuff. <laughs> Does the word growth come from anywhere in particular? Is this one of the, a, a caveman word as well? Yeah. yeah so like we it. actually talked about the same root word when we did our episode last season on green. Green and grow oh. come from the same root. Uh, that just sounds kind of like gr. Uh, <laughs> which yeah, same root as the 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 protagonist from Despicable Me. Yeah, <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, he very big man started out really small, quite really small. small. Yeah, quite we small. saw like small. Minions yeah. Three. He say. got bigger yeah. after that, and he grew. Yeah, so <laughs> grew grew grew. And grass grows, and other green things grow, and so uh-huh. we're all just like let's. Let's call them the same thing. Yeah. Um, and so it was originally 
used for vegetative growth like plants. And then I think humans, because we are very self-centered, and we talked about this in the aging episode, we, we thought of humans in terms of like lifespan and animals in terms of like aging, growing older lifespan while plants were growing. And then at some point, we, we just merged those those concepts huh. together. But one thing that I found that I really enjoyed that is also tangential is that growing was sep- is separate from blooming. So like a, a flower grows and then it blooms. Um, and you used to say that something grew and then it blew when it was done. <laughs> and so instead of it, it bloomed, that's our modern parlance. And but, then somebody's like, we can't say that. <laughs> yeah, it's grown and blown. It grew and blew. And I like that. I think yeah. it has a nice ring to it. it sounds it like makes... a weed shop or something, right? Grown and blown, yeah. Grown and blown. <laughs> I feel like I know so much more now than I did before. That's what I like about SciShow Tangents. All right. And that means that it's time to head in to the game show portion of our show. So lots of things grow, like, for example, this podcast. Thank you to all of our new listeners as we grow. I know that grew is one of them. Oh, my God. Where am I? The number of games. (laughs) Was that you stalling for time or what was happening there? (laughs) Let's go through all the minions that listen to this. Steve. Kevin. Bob. All of them. You know they're all listening every week. (laughs) So today we're going to do some incremental growth by trying out a new game that Sam came up with called Truth or Fail Express. It's really hard to come up with. (laughs) (laughs) So you can think of it's like a truth or fail meets this or that. I know that you're a con sewer of the games that we play on this show so mm-hmm. you definitely know what both that of those sense, are right yeah. or just more simply it's like a true or false section on a test but more fun disgusting oversimplification <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to tell you uh some kind of story uh today about growth in the animal kingdom it's up to you to figure out whether or not that story is true if you're right you get a point so are you ready Hell yes. yeah choo choo right. hop on Stop. the truth or fail express <laughs> I'm really stuck on Gru right now. Is the problem? I just got I, like I. Got it wasn't funny in the beginning. Up. It's not funny now. So to start out, we got pregnant turtles, which can lay their eggs in multiple nests. But the nests that get laid are not necessarily all equal. Scientists have found that the eggs that are laid in later nests are also given more time to develop before they are laid, and as a result, more eggs successfully hatch from them. Is that true or false? Ah, uh, Sari knows a lot about turtles, I think. I think so too, but I'm not sure why. I think this is true. I feel like I have this conception in my head from somewhere that turtles lay some dummy eggs at first. They're just like, oh, oh I gotta poop out some egg. And then they get to a point where the eggs are actually viable. I feel like that's not quite what he said. So maybe that is what it's based on. And I'll say that's false. Oh, Sari. As often happens, you know too many things. This is loosely inspired by the very thing that you're talking about. Turtle turtles uh, are able to pause egg development by releasing a mucousy substance in their reproductive tracts to reduce oxygen. And that lets the female turtle be a bit more particular about when she will lay her eggs. But that does not uh, let them have multiple nests with different amounts of viabilities. Harumph. <laughs> I, why Why even know things? Like, why even? <laughs> why did I spend That's all this time point. knowing stuff? Why did I spend? I could just not. 
And yeah, I'm just have, copying off your test, basically. Yeah. You did all the work. <laughs> and we're getting the same grade. All right. Story number two. European moles are found throughout much of Europe, except in southern areas like Greece and Italy. And that means that they live in places where they have to deal with winter. So to deal with colder temperatures, European moles conserve energy by shrinking their brains, which means they also have to regrow their brains in time for summer. Is that true or false? (laughs) I think I'm going to say false because I think this is a different animal that does this. I'm going to say true because it sounds so weird. Just like, I I don't need that brain. I'm sleeping. I'm going to regret it. So sure. They've got a point. That's how I'd do it if I could. European moles shrink their brains about 11% for winter and then wow. regrow them by about 4% per summer. For Wait summer. A oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> now, I, uh, that math doesn't sound quite yeah, right. Yeah, what's going to happen <laughs> to Every them. year it gets smaller and smaller. I don't know. This oh. is just what my notes say. <laughs> uh, tough so, winters. <laughs> they're not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> so they're not the only animals to do this. In the 1950s, scientists found out that shrews shrink their brains, a process called Dinell's phenomenon. Other mammals like stoats and weasels also engage in this. And scientists recently confirmed that European moles shrink their brains using uh, skulls in various museum collections. So they were looking at different skulls to figure this out. And interestingly, when they looked at Iberian moles, ones that live in warmer climates, they found that Iberian moles didn't change skull shape throughout the year, supporting the idea that this change is driven by the weather. And it's very interesting to scientists who want to know how mammals can regenerate both bone and brain tissue and what the the implications might mean for various disease treatments. So if you can regrow some brain... We want to know how that would work. Well, hopefully, yeah, you're doing a bigger do that. percentage of brain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to get just are. a little bit of brain. <laughs> yeah. huh. Maybe it keeps growing out throughout the summer, and then I hope so. so. Before, like, b- <laughs> before the summer arrives, they get the four percent. But I can't tell you for sure because mm-hmm. I don't have that information. Story number three, though. We'd all probably love a few extra neurons, but probably not the way that female mice get them. In experiments, scientists found that uh, presenting soiled bedding from a male mouse to a female mouse stimulated growth of new neurons in her brain. Is that true or false? Uh, Can you expand upon soiled? Is it a little poopy? A little... I think it's probably... uh, I think that it's got uh, at least pee on it. So now the moles, the moles made so much sense. This, I like cannot think about any reason why smelling piss would make your brain a little <laughs> bit bigger. Well, maybe you got to start being like, okay, where is this guy? Got to look for him. So you're growing more looking for himself, you know? Mm. You got to be on your game a little bit more. It's like a Cinderella situation. How so? What do you mean? I don't know. Instead of a lost okay. slipper, it's like a lost pee situation of like, oh. we gotta gotta go smell all the peas and, right. and find. I suppose that makes some amount of sense. I'm going to say true because I think. All right. All right. You know, there's there's procreation on the line. So you got to really sharpen up. I'm going to say false because this seems silly. Well. Just like when grew grew, you got to choo choo choose true on this one. Oh, wow. <laughs> 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 
2007, researchers reported that when female mice were presented soiled bedding from dominant males, it stimulated the production of neurons in the olfactory bulb of the female mice. In the, so it wasn't really in, I mean, I guess that's the brain. In their work, the scientists <laughs> were able to link growth of these neurons to a few hormones in particular. Interestingly, there was no growth in the neurons when the female mice were presented with soiled bedding from subordinate male mice or castrated male mice. In 2013, another group of researchers found that there is a similar pattern of neurogenesis in male mice exposed to female mouse pheromones. Mm. So it goes all the way around the tree in the circle. Is that different than than like how other brains work? So that it's as actually growth of more neurons as opposed to just more neural connections. Because like when we get exposed to new stimuli, right? It's yeah. Okay. We and that's them. what's different yeah. about it. Yeah. Yes. More cells. Eventually we'll be able to regrow uh brain tissue more effectively. And if it re- makes us if we have to sniff a mouse bed to do it, I think it's I think that's worth it. Sniffing some if I have to sniff piss to get smarter, uh sign me up. I'll sniff it all day long. <laughs> <laughs> that's how Gru got so big. He yeah, that's why he's the minion piss. That's why he's the genius he is. Yeah, it stinks so in there. It's stinky, stinky <laughs> in his lab. <laughs> so much minion piss. Yeah, it's a huge amount of minion piss. It's just nuts. How you wouldn't believe how much a minion can drink. It's just a mess in there. Mm-hmm. You ever wonder mm-hmm. why they're yellow? All oh my goodness! All bladder, oh, they're big bladders with eyes. <laughs> yeah, or just one eye sometimes. Sometimes just one eye. Some, yeah. you know, evolution. You need more is room for the thing. piss. Yeah, yeah. That's why they stopped having two eyes. That's you right. Only need, you only need one eye. You need more space for piss. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I love <laughs> our podcast. Next up, we're gonna take a short break, and then it'll be time for the fact off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Aspersions. One of those. But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun Mm -hmm. burns out. And you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. (laughs) (laughs) You want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. That bean's not going to grow. If there's there's a constant drain on the the bean, that (laughs) is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond, I mean beans, and beyond subscription canceling, (laughs) Rocket Money helps you build budgets, track your spending, and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans so they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> different kind of bean, I guess. A, a cheaper, more grow. of a cheaper type you of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. <laughs> yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. <laughs> Subscription <laughs> companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot. And now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop wasting <laughs> money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans, cancel your <laughs> unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Factor, whose ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning. Stress is stressful. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> Life just goes and goes, and it doesn't ever stop going. There's always something else to do. And one of those things is a very important thing called eating dinner. To eat dinner, one must pick out what they want to eat and then go to the grocery store and then buy the stuff and then chop the stuff and do other things to the stuff. You have to heat the stuff and put it in water. And then afterwards, you have to take the things that you heated it in and they're gross and you have to make them clean again. Meanwhile, life is still happening that all, all that's building up around you. Um, this is <laughs> terrifying. I'm so, <laughs> I never want to cook again. <laughs> You're right. Factor ad. I don't, I don't want to have this happen. This is unacceptable. Sometimes, uh, parentheses, all the time, uh, you just don't have the time or the energy for meal planning on top of everything else going on in your life. So thankfully, Factor is here to help. Factor's two-minute meals are your secret weapon come mealtime. You can get mm -hmm. chef-crafted meals that are better for you and better tasting than takeout delivered right to your door. Ready to heat and ready to eat. No prep, no mess, no sink full of dishes, no stress. We're kicking stress out the door in 2024, and I certainly hope that's true for me. <laughs> Heck yeah, Factor. Kick my stress. Right out the door. <laughs> I'm going to get a chest freezer just for these meals. <laughs> oh, you're going to need one because they have over 35 meals to choose from. Flexible ordering options, add-ons, smoothies. Factor offers all sorts of fast, simple solutions when you're too busy to cook. Banish your stress, even if it's just for like one hour while you're eating dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash tangents50 and use code tangents50 to get 50% off. That's code tangents50 at factormeals.com slash tangents50 to get 50% off. Welcome back. Now it's time for the fact off. Our panelists have brought in science facts to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind. They're not going to do better than reminding me that minions are just full, full, full of piss. But they do have other facts that are at least, at least a little bit close to as good as that. After they've presented their facts, I will judge them and I will award Hank Bucks any way I see fit. But decide who goes first. I have a trivia question. In 2020, NASA reported that a young volcanic island called Nishinoshima in the Pacific Ocean was going through a vigorous growth spurt thanks to the volcano. On July 3rd of 2020, the plumes from the volcano rose as high as 4,700 meters above sea level, and as the volcano spewed ash and lava, the island itself grew. The Geospatial Information Authority of Japan reported that the southern shore of the island had grown at least a certain number of meters between June 19th, 2020 and July 3rd, 2020, so not a very long period of time. How many meters was it? Just 
and a Google meters to feet. And here we go. Uh, gosh, this sounds really familiar. Really? And yeah, I feel like I remember this happening. And it was, you know, it was maybe like uh, 300 meters. <gasps> what? Is that a lot? <laughs> That's a lot. That's a, it is a lot, but I guess they But there's spew, a lot of lava down there, you know? Spewing a lot of stuff. I was yep. going to say something like 20 meters. It was at least 150 meters. So that one is going out to our friend Sam. Sam, what do you got for us? Uh, I'm sort of Tandren's resident voice of folksy country westernness, being as I was raised in Montana and all. And as such, I will regale you with the tale of the jackalope. The jackalope is a mythical creature of the American West, looking for the most part like your run-of-the-mill jackrabbit, except the majestic pair of antelope antlers sticking out of its head. Legend has it that these creatures are so fierce that jackalope hunters wore stovepipes over their legs to avoid being gored by their horns. Their favorite drink is whiskey, and Old West cowboys reported that jackalopes can mimic the human voice and can be heard singing along to campfire songs at night. In reality, Old West cowboys and the myth of the jackalope didn't really overlap, as the creature was actually Mm. invented in 1932 by a pair of brothers-slash-amateur taxidermists from Douglas, Wyoming. They stuck some antlers on a mounted rabbit head and sold it to a local hotel where it was displayed for decades and gave rise to a legend that spread through a lot of the American West, mostly as a way to sell souvenirs to dumb tourists. Can we wait, 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 wait. Do we need a mascot for this podcast and can it be the jackalope? Because it can't be Gru. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it cannot be. <laughs> I think I that's it's, it's already taken. It can't be minions. They're full of piss. Yeah. But absolutely, I think it could be a jackalope. I think it I'm could just be too. I think I'm just that's out a great there. idea. Saying, I'm sure we can think of something it symbolizes in retrospect, too. Yes. You know? Perfect. Yeah. Maybe just... after my fact, you'll be able to think of something. Doesn't someone else have a jackalope mascot already? Oh, I'm sure. On. Why? Of course. It's a oh, cryptid. Okay. You, can't, you can't. Okay. You can't copyright like, claim a cryptid, on it. Can't. No. It's folklore. It's folklore. Okay. But weirdly enough, the idea of a horn rabbit appears far from and way before 1930s oh. Wyoming. They've appeared in medieval folklore, Renaissance books of natural history, and the myths of indigenous people of Central America. Horn rabbits were seemingly even presented as real animals in various scientific texts until around the 19th century. But rabbits having horns was maybe not so impossible after all. In 1933, right around the time that those Wyoming brothers were sticking antlers on a taxidermied rabbit, a scientist named Richard Shope was hunting for horn rabbits of his own after hearing rumors about horned rabbits on a hunting trip. Eventually, a hunter captured one of these horned rabbits and sent it to Shope, who observed that the horns were actually tumors. Uh, A colleague told him about a virus that chickens could get that caused similar growths, so Shope ground up some of these rabbit horns, filtered them through porcelain in order to trap any viruses that might be in there, and slathered the filtered horn goo onto the heads of healthy rabbits. And guess what? Mm -hmm. They grew horns. Shope then shared his research with another researcher, Francis Rouse, whose further research showed that these horns were a type of cancerous growth caused by papillomavirus. And Rouse's research into virus-caused cancers led to the discovery of papillomavirus in lots of other animals, including people, and eventually won him the Nobel Prize. What? So uh, from like a modern standpoint, historians think that the more ancient stories of horned rabbits could have possibly come from people seeing uh, rabbits with growths hopping around. However, Mm -hmm. it's not generally thought that the jackalope was inspired by the same sort of thing, but really was just a couple of dudes gluing some horns to a rabbit because they had dead dead animals laying around. (laughs) 
but it's still pretty weird that both of these now famous horned rabbit events happened within like 12 months of each other in the 1930s. I would, I would not think, ah, maybe I should, if, if I put this, like, I would not think that's a contagious disease, I guess is what I'm thinking. Yeah. I would, which is like, just like cancer. You're like, cancer is not a contagious disease. Mm-hmm. Usually it's very, very rarely. And so the, so the idea that it could be is so far out. Uh, it's just so far out that I, it's astounding to me that that is a thing that someone tried and that it resulted in a pretty significant medical breakthrough and a Nobel Prize for research that feels a little bit lucky, just like you got real lucky for that one. I think, yeah, there was just a guy who knew about the chicken tumors, and I feel like he's the real yeah. key to this. He's like, yeah. hey, I saw this on a chicken once. and then You just like, got to be oh. paying attention. Yeah. It's the number one rule of science. Be, just look everywhere. You never know when it's the chicken tumors that are going to get you the, well, yeah. that Nobel Prize. Yeah. Share that. your research with other people, too. Talk also, with other, other scientists, because then maybe yeah. some other guy, maybe the chicken tumor guy, mm-hmm. will have the key. Yeah, but you think the first guy saw the Nobel Prize and was like, hey, come on. I could have a little bit of that Nobel Prize, please. <laughs> doesn't say really that he not. was ever acknowledged in any way. The Nobel Prizes are full of injustice. <laughs> I've learned yeah. anything. Yeah. Um, the uh oh that's that's very cool um and not not where i was expecting this to go well i almost wrote about how they can grow horns on mice now like in china they've been growing horns on mice so you know what we might actually have real jackalopes too that are hopping around and goring people oh yeah any day now yeah all right sorry what do you got Sometimes electricity can seem like it bridges the gap between science and magic. Even though we kind of understand how electrons work, or at least well enough to harness their energy for our cities and our cell phones, when you get down to a subatomic level, things get a little sketchy, including how electric potentials work in living creatures. And this sketchy space is where science fiction thrives, like how Frankenstein's monster is reanimated from dead body parts with a lightning strike. But it has also led to real-life investigation into electroculture, or using electricity to help encourage plant growth. The general idea is a direct lightning strike can set a tree or any plant on fire, so that's too much. But some atmospheric electric energy or a strike on nearby dirt may somehow kickstart physiological processes in plants that encourage growth. Mm. And electroculture, as far as I can tell, isn't a super common area of research, in part because it's hard to have controlled studies of things like thunderstorms, and in part because there's a blanket skepticism around the general mystery of the mechanism. Yeah, it seems like it's it's hard to have a, a lightning strike, but it's easy to just zap it yeah and just so tase, that, tase it tase the ground we're gonna zap it and there's a recent study that did just that and it seems kind of legit to me uh, a non-expert in electricity or agriculture so <laughs> over four years a team of scientists at iwate university in japan wanted to investigate the folkloric wisdom that mushrooms grow like wildfire around areas struck by lightning and they published a paper with their results in 2020 in an applied physics journal So, to get a sense of how mushrooms grow normally, typically shiitake mushrooms are grown in hardwood logs. First, they grow through vegetative growth for months, where they grow thin filaments throughout the wood. And then, farmers can force the mushrooms into their reproductive growth phase, which is where the mushrooms push out the caps that we eat. 
from what I can tell, this forcing is usually done by submerging the log in water for 24 hours or so. And that switches something in the mushrooms to change them from creating filaments to creating the mushroom caps that we eat. So these scientists wanted to use high-voltage electric shocks to see if they could switch mushrooms from that vegetative growth to reproductive growth. Extra good. And they created an impulse voltage generator, which is a fancy way of saying fake lightning machine. And then they exposed shiitake logs that had gone through vegetative growth and been soaked in water for 24 hours to a few sequential, extremely short bursts of really strong electricity from various distances away. And I'm talking like a 10 millionth of a second and 100,000 volts, so equivalent to a large lightning strike. And they found that these fake lightning strikes caused about twice as much growth on mushroom logs three meters away, which is relatively close, then logs 12 meters away, which they used as a control. They were beyond the radius of their fake lightning. So not only did electricity trigger reproductive growth, but distance from the lightning strike seems to matter quite a bit. Um, And on top of that, there were a set of three meter away logs that were exposed to daily fake lightning strikes for a week instead of just one blast. And they produced even more mushrooms. So like more lightning equals more mushrooms which is very cool. And their hypothesis is that the jolt of electricity helps disrupt the filaments more evenly and thoroughly than just the soaking alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's specific to mushroom farming rather than an electric thing that affects all plants. But still, it's very weird. Zap a log with <laughs> some lightning, you get some mushrooms. Uh, and there might be more real electroculture experiments out there if we can find other ways to innervate plant growth. So instead of putting the log in water, they can zap it. Or do you have to do both? I think they do they do both. Okay. For the for the sake of this study, they did both because they uh, wanted mm. to control for just the electricity presence. Mm, mm-hmm. Um and more mushrooms grew with electricity. This they didn't say this in the study, but my guess is like so many people talk about, well, maybe the thunderstorm, it's just the rain that causes the mushroom right, growth. Right. And so it's like the combination between the water. And then the electricity that, gives it yeah, that extra. That log is going to be wet anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I just want, I, I, I wrote down uh, something here that electroculture is the new hottest club in New Jersey. Okay. It has uh, electrified shiitake mushrooms, wet logs, minions full of piss, rabbits with antlers, and also papillomavirus. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's this episode in a nutshell. Yeah, I think that's... that's uh, Sam, you said you were making T-shirts. That's the, that's that's the T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll write it down. Electroculture. That is a really great name for a club. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, just, I don't want it to have any of that stuff, but if it had that name, I also wouldn't go. Just for <laughs> you're well, old. those are all the you're drink names at Electroculture. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a minion full of piss. I don't think I a, don't don't think drink, a drink named Papillomavirus would be a <laughs> no. No, but I would drink a I would drink a piss minion if it had like banana yeah. vodka in it or something. <gasps> Absolutely. Okay. We have a live show. Whenever we go out to the bar afterwards, we'll make sure that they're pre-prepared to make the piss minion for us. Yeah. Uh huh. I mean, you're Grand. gonna need a lot of bananas. How many you got? You're gonna need more than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When we do our live show at the Taco Bell Cantina in Butte, <laughs> yeah, we'll be oh. like, get ready. That's yeah. going to be so weird. And there's probably only so many bananas in Pute, so we might have to bring some of our own. <laughs> it's a low banana out. concentration. Yeah, I can import some bananas from, from okay. Massachusetts. Yeah. Okay. Just Good. a suitcase full of bananas. Mm-hmm. It's another thing they have at Electroculture. So, <laughs> this 
is it's always hard. It's never easy. But ultimately, grinding up weird tumor antlers and discovering papillomavirus and winning a Nobel Prize is just weirder. I That's going to be our winner for the day. Uh, but coming into it, I have no idea what the score was. Hey, I won the first game, so. Yeah, Sam yeah. swept this episode. Yeah. Sam swept the episode. All right. Congratulations, Sam. Uh, and now it's time to ask the science couch where we have a listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. At Space Wizard 360 asks, is there a way to tell if you stopped growing for sure? Oh, hmm. ooh, I don't know the answer to this question. Do you have I, a guess guess? It's, I guess it's just when uh, when you're standing on the thingy and they measure you and it's the same. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like you keep growing older, like you keep looking different. Does that... Yeah, growing old is a weird thing because that does not require you to grow physically at all. Like you just grow, you grow older, you could be getting smaller and you're growing old. But I, yes. d- am I growing? Am I growing if I'm growing old? I don't think so. I, I interpreted this question as how can you tell a, a child has stopped growing if you're looking yeah. at a, a little yes. one and you're like, like when your bones are done cooking. Kind of. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's like the moment when you start shrinking. <laughs> Once you reached your peak height. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sam, I don't know if you were just saying that out of every man. I just say a lot of things. You just say (laughs) it is like it is when your bones are stopped cooking. Oh, that's that's when how we measure when you stop growing, which I thought was very weird and cool. How do you how do you measure a bone cook cookedness? So you it's a a bone age study. And apparently uh, the easiest way to do it or the most regular way people have done it historically uh, is by doing an X-ray of one of a child's uh, wrist, hand and fingers, because there are a lot of bones in that area. And by taking Hmm. a look at bone age, which is what they call this, as opposed to, uh, I don't know, age, age. (laughs) You can <laughs> you can see how uh, mature the growth plates specifically are. So, like we have metrics for what a four year old hand looks like, what a six year old hand looks like, mm-hmm. um, and there are these cartilaginous areas at the end of your bones that aren't quite fused together. Um, that when you have reached your full height, usually at the end of puberty because of a lot of other factors, like it it coincides with hormonal changes, um, other body changes, growth, like height, um, but also things like stress in your environment. And that's where the the measurement gets a little bit more uncertain is, is like when someone's growth is abnormal or like bone growth doesn't match the records that we have of like what a hand looks like at certain ages, then like what piece of the system is unbalanced. But yeah, you look at the bones, you look at where your bones stopped, stop cooking. Um, (laughs) And it's called uh, endochondral ossification, I think uh, is what I could find. Or chondrogenesis is when like the, the cartilage and all the stuff around your bones kind of develop. Um, And then the ossification is when everything locks into place. Did you say so. when, like what age? Like, is there a chance of me at 35? I got a little bit more to go. <laughs> that would be great. Usually it's like teens. People <sighs> stop growing. There Shoot. have been anecdotal reports that in like 20s, there are still some growth plates that haven't mm. quite fused yet. Some bone 
but I think in your thirties, you're pretty much don't don't hold out your hopes for another you're, little. You're kind of you're kind of Sam sized now. That sucks. <clears throat> this is the size okay. of a Sam. You're, yeah, your huh. your oven timer went ding, and your bones came out hot and fresh. And, yeah, and you got hot, fresh bones, Sam. Thank don't let you. anybody tell you different. I don't think yeah. you're right. I can feel <laughs> what the, I can feel what they feel like. They feel hot, but they don't feel fresh. They're so hot. (laughs) Just hot and wet and a little bit softer than they should probably be. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, if you want to ask the Science Couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we will tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. We'll be on your following page, but maybe not your for you. Uh, tab on Twitter. Or you can join the SciShow Tangents Patreon and ask us on Discord. Thank you to Lee Larson on YouTube, at CrystalR99 on Twitter, and everybody else who asked your questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, uh, it's really easy to do that. First, you can go to patreon.com slash scishowtangents and become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes. And special thanks to patrons John Pollock and Les Baker. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's very helpful and it helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell Tell people people about about us. us. Like this person on Twitter who said, Hey, SciShow Tangents, I'm a delivery driver slash grad student. This show, over the months since being told about it, so thank you to someone for telling them yeah, about it. Yeah, they did what we said. They did it. Has ranged from unexpectedly sweet to funny to interesting and genuinely informative. I'm so happy that this week's guest judge, this was back a little while ago, delivered the most baffling fact yet. Uh, and that was the episode with Maddie Sophia. So thank you uh, for telling people about us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz. Our associate producer is Faith Schmidt. Our editor is Seth Glixman. Our story editor is Alex Billow. Our social media organizer is Julia Buzz Bazayo. Our editorial assistant is Devoki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our executive producers are Caitlin Hoffmeister and me, Hank Green. And of course, we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. Some kinds of growth, like layers of sedimentary rock or Antarctic ice, take place over thousands of years. And in March 2021, researchers published a paper analyzing a two-meter-tall pile of bat guano in a Jamaican cave that amassed over 4,300 years. What? By analyzing the poop layers, they learned that there have been different kinds of bats who lived there during different time periods, or that the bats may have changed their diets from insects to fruit and back again over the centuries based on things like the climate or what food may have been available That's to amazing. them. That's a lot of shit. Huh? That's a lot of poop. And an archaeological gold mine. If only people did this, sitting in one place, pooping in the <laughs> same pooping. spot for 4,300 years, we could learn so much. Let's all start pooping in the same place, yeah, everybody. Poop in the same place. Bring it in. A giant human poop pile. <laughs> For the next 4,300 years. <laughs> yeah. There's mm-hmm. no time like the present. Someone will thank us eventually for it. <laughs> it's going to get way bigger than two meters tall. That's yeah, for that's sure. going to be a problem real fast. But... <laughs> yeah. You'll figure it out. <laughs> you know? We have to hang from the top of a cave. Oh, yeah. you're doing it. It's going to be great.